Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And we have a treat of a video game movie today. Um, today we have, as always, me <laughs> co-hosting the podcast. But we also have my brother, Rory. Hello, Rory. Yes, hello. I said hello earlier. <laughs> but also, as a special, special guest, we have uh, comedian Dan Thomas with us. Hello, everyone. Hello. And you are the guy who introduced us to this film I mean, it was on the, we had a big list a big yeah. wikipedia list but you have been living with this film burned into your brain for some time haven't 27 you? 27 years i remember i watched this 27 years ago and i won't say that i haven't stopped thinking about it but maybe once a year i'll remember it like it's a fever dream mm. because because it doesn't feel like a film it feels like something you'd wake up from a nightmare and go well that can't have happened <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know in inception that someone would burn into your brain trying to find the secret to taking over the Dan <laughs> Thomas empire and it would actually be a director video piece of shit but quite a lot of fun director video it, movie it is quite a lot of fun I think or it's a nightmare I don't know it's it's I've never had an experience quite have we told people what it is yet um <laughs> no no <laughs> arcade Arcade nope. is the film. They will. They, I'm sure no one's heard of it. This one, well, I'm sure, sang without a trace. It was direct to video. It was made for about. I don't know what the budget was. I don't know if you care to hazard a guess. Um, well, what's a hundred billion dollars in 1990 money? I about, can't remember. About forty grand. Because with these effects. Yeah. These effects. I don't know. I mean, James Cameron. If he ever saw this <laughs> film, he'd just give up. I think he's secretly hoping for COVID to continue, so no one sees how this, his uh, Avatar 2, 3 or 4 doesn't stack up to arcade. The ridiculous thing, if you look back at it, 1993 was, was the dawn of the CGI era. But even with that fact in your head, this is still the same year as Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's two years after Terminator 2. Nightmare on CITV had been mm. running for some time at this point and already looked better on, a, on an ITV, on a regional ITV budget. Mm. I think the nightmare comparison is very fair yes. in terms of how the visuals, the striking visuals of this film manifest themselves with a heavy dollop of blue screen and with the main characters just stood there while the blue screen rolls behind them like a Windows screensaver. Yeah. And it's not just blue screen, it's bad blue screen. It's, and I don't mean the, the CGI they put there, it's just sometimes if the characters move too quickly you can see the blue. It looks, mm. like, it looks like it was recorded on, like, you know, like the old, like a weather report studio. It's <laughs> a blue screen and goes, okay, and it's going to be raining in Swindon, and also there's uh, a skull coming towards me. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, for, I was very disappointed when they downloaded themselves. Oh, okay, FYI, spoilers for Arcade, because we got right in there. <laughs> um, 
when they arrive in a CGI world and the vehicle of choice to travel across the game board is a skateboard, which allows them just to stand and roll down the corridor without touching a single thing. I think it was just trying to manifest as many elements of cool 90s culture into one package. So you have video games and virtual reality and skateboarding and grungy plaid shirts and curtain haircuts sort of all together <laughs> in one. But you know what? We've spent the last couple of minutes ripping into this. I don't think I've enjoyed watching a film as much in quite some time on this yeah. podcast. There's there's something about it. It it gripped me. It's um because we did I think recently uh, that Fred Savage film, The Wizard from 1989, which uh, advertises itself as a video game movie, but it really is just a very long road trip. And then somebody plays a Nez at the end of it. <laughs> it's uh, you don't get much bang for your buck. But this, hang on, is that the movie that introduced the world to the power glove? Pretty much, yes. Well, then it was worth the wait for the end of the movie. It really isn't. <laughs> it really isn't worth the wait. So this, yeah, you get video games right from the off, I think. And I've got a note here. Twenty minutes in, I just wrote. I'm really enjoying this, <laughs> which I don't often write on this podcast, I have to admit. But just to take us back a little bit. So, uh, Dan, you mentioned you saw this for the first time around at the time of its release. Oh, yeah. So... It probably would have been a week of release. Oh, so... right. Not in a cinema, though. Oh, no, no. It never hit the cinema. I would have seen it. I, what happened was I would have seen an advert for it on another VHS tip. And I would have seen that John Delancey, Q from Star Trek, was in it. And mm -hmm. I would have taken that as a mark of quality. I see. You're... <laughs> Cue for quality. <laughs> yeah. When you're a kid and you realise that just because someone you like is in it doesn't mean it's any good. I think. Yes, but it, yeah, and this, but I remember, but I did love it. So that is oh, why to this day, yeah, true. if there is someone in a film that I like, that film will definitely be good. And I've never true. ever had my heart broken. I mean, the, <laughs> the only or... other thing I saw. <laughs> The only other thing I saw John Delancey in, which wasn't Star Trek, was, I think, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh, right, okay. Um, and I think he plays, like, a perverted doctor or something. It, was, it wasn't It was really aimed at me, who was, like, eight <laughs> or nine. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one in the cradle. Uh, pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. You, I take it you're a Star Trek fan? I am a Star Trek fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very... Oh, wait, I think I met... I met John Delancey at a Star Trek convention in Bristol, and that was back in the day when you weren't charged something like 20 quid to have your picture signed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do remember, but... sorry, I do remember having um, John Pertwee sign a picture of mine, who was alive then, obviously, <laughs> and um, I was had my picture valued, and I told it'd be much, it'd be worth a lot more when he's dead. And then he died like a few days later, and I was like, I felt really responsible. But like a savvy investor. <laughs> yes, maybe. I interrupted you, uh, Rory. Well, I was just wanted to get a bit more of an idea of the context of seeing this film because it was during this sort of first wave of VR, this early VR boom, yeah. and we we talked about it a lot in our Lawnmower Man and Lawnmower Man Two episode that we did. But I wanted to get sort of your idea of 
where you were in 1993. Would you, did you rent this from a video shop like a Blockbuster? Or... It would have been, uh, I imagine 1993, it would still have been Ritz video. Ah, uh, put it on the Ritz. Ritz. Very fancy. Ritz, uh, which was then bought by Blockbuster. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, which, by the way, the video shop was right opposite Dylan Thomas's house. There we are. That's what happened to that neighborhood. Oh, is that where he rented <laughs> his videos? Yeah, that's where he got his, his videos, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it was next to a bar. It was convenient. It was on his way back. It was... Um, so uh, I would have rented it, watched it on my own. My, also, it was a fifth. Yeah, it must have been a 15. I was <laughs> not 15, but I definitely would have used the... This is... I would have told my mother, it's all right. Uh, it can't be that bad. Q from Star Trek's in it. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek's just a PG on video. And she went, that's a good point. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> like, in my head, that would have been the case. Um, Sound also, logic. Yeah, she was, she was, weirdly, my mother was, there's a lot of things that she wouldn't have let me watch at the time, but with science fiction, because she was a science fiction fan, she would let me watch, like, anything I wanted, as long as it was science fiction. Like, I remember being, I must have been 10 when she described uh, the plot of Blade Runner to me, and she goes, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll just rent it. And mm. then I was a 15, and we walked and we got the video and took it home, and then I watched it, and none of the things she had described in it happened in Blade <laughs> Runner. And then I told her that. She goes, oh, you know what? I think I was thinking of Clockwork Orange. <laughs> so my mother was recommending a Clockwork Orange for a 10-year-old. That's how much she thought science fiction was fine for kids. Very bizarre. Are we going to be watching Species tonight? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No, no. She would have seen the portion and gone, no, no. You can see whatever <laughs> violence you want, but no tits. No tits. <laughs> Shout out to Species 2, though. I really like Species 2, where it's a man. That's, that's the twist. It's but a with tits? It would be great if it was a man of tits. Yeah. Um, man of species to man of tits. Man of tits. So, I mean, I, myself and Rory, as I said, this was just on the list of the films we're going to cover. So I'd never heard of this film <clears> before. <throat> and I'm really upset that I haven't. I think my life would have been richer for it. That's, that's a very bold statement. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I see a film... Like, I don't know, The Road to El Dorado, that animated <laughs> film with Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh. And I feel like I snubbed that film for so long because it wasn't Disney. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, I'm a complete idiot. What a fool. This is the best film ever. And since watching Arcade um, just a few short days ago, I think I've watched it. I've watched it like two or three times. No, no. <laughs> maybe too many. I have had it on a couple of times. Oh, wow. It's good background stuff. Are you sure the game isn't playing you now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is fascinating to me because the thing is, it's not, it's, it's fun to watch and visually it's, let's use the word interesting, mm. but it's not, an, it's not a pretty film. It's not like you're watching in the background. It's not like you're putting like a Terrence Malick movie on where it's lovely cinematography. It is one of the ugliest films ever made that isn't a war film. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, we all watch the film via a Amazon Prime channel yes, called yes. Full Moon. And I, everything I saw on that seemed to be pan and scan, yes. and not a great transfer rate. And oh you no, know. this is this feels like this. The transfer from the VHS was literally somebody holding their phone up in front of the TV. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm just waiting for a 4K restoration of this film. Although I did wonder, due to special effects limitations, whether a a widescreen version exists because if you're if you're a square screen then you don't have to do so much cgi <laughs> well two things one the cgi had to be done twice because uh disney threatened to sue them because originally there was a instead of having the tunnel uh thing 
as being the main interface, the, the first level, it was going to be a light bike thing, and Disney saw that and threatened to sue, so they had to redo all of that stuff. Wow, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. And the, and the thing is, because it was straight to video, it would never have been done, it, w- it wouldn't have been filmed in widescreen, because you can tell it's all framed for the old for an old 1-1 TV. I mean, you said it was an ugly film, but I've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer on Amazon as well, and that's mm-hmm. their one which is, it has been made widescreen when the show was shot full frame and it's the sort of thing i really care about and lesser people don't (laughs) i well the thing is it can be a problem because they they re they restored star trek the next generation so now you can see a little bit further actually in all directions above below and to the sides so i was watching the next generation back on this a couple of years ago and you can see boom mics and all sorts of (laughs) shit now (laughs) Well, You've got you to know. be careful. Because if they did that to, to, to Arcade, it could really take you out of the magic of cinema. There's nothing to say that in the future we don't have boom mics hanging above us at all times. <laughs> just, just for an off-the-cuff captain's log. Um, yeah, how true. else are they going to be able to correspond with other ships unless they're all mic'd up? I mean, when I watch Star Trek sometimes, Captain Picard managed to do a captain's log right in the middle of some real shit going down. And I'm like, when did you find the time? to go off like we've come back from an ad break and you're talking. just records it on his apple watch yeah i suppose so just hang on one minute one minute <laughs> one minute but i digress um full you... moon video um yes the way we accessed it on amazon prime it did feel like going into a video rental yes. shop and finding the cd horror section at the back yes. it had that same sort of vibe like I'm signing up to this seven-day free trial, and then you see all the other titles that Full Moon Entertainment provide, and there's a lot to take in. Mm. Oh yeah, he would have done because it was bit. Oh, what was his name? Charles something. Charles, oh, Charles Band. Band. That's it. Yeah. He, you know, he was the Roger Corman of of the nineties. Really, he he just made so much wonderful crap, and I've seen bits and pieces of it, and um, but. Yeah, it's a shame because I, w- I wish this movie had led me down the path of, of getting into that stuff. Well, you've but, got, um, what, five more days of your trial? Knock yourself out? Vampire Playgirls <laughs> is calling? Go on, keep going, keep going. Have you got a list of these? Well, because I was really I was concerned because I saw Vampire Playgirls and I thought of all the, the story opportunities of you know what a playgirl would be as a vampire. And then when I was trying to find it again, I couldn't. And I thought I just imagined this film called Vampire Playgirls. But it's, it's there. Uh, there's Vice Academy... Um, Which is that that teaches you woodwork? In... <laughs> well, yes, I'm sure the expression "wood" is used <laughs> quite a lot in that. There seems to be several quite recent documentaries about the Tiger King. Um, really, Tiger King: The Secrets of the Tiger King. Barbie and Kendra save the Tiger King after escaping the contagious catastrophe of a zombie outbreak. Ditzy American beauties, Barbie and Kendra. Battle the deadliest foe yet. <laughs> the description stops there. So I don't know. Oh, that's a shame. Well, Full Moon Entertainment uh, is probably best known for its bigger franchises like Puppet Master, Trancers, which I've seen a couple of, yeah. uh, Demonic Toys, uh, but more recently such hits as The Ginger Dead Man and Killer, <laughs> Killer Bong. Sorry, oh. Killer Bong. This, Briefer madness. I was going to say, because the weird thing about this as well is, even though presumably this is a movie for kids, 
not kids, but you know, younger people. Teenagers, they're called. Te- teenagers. Teenage, that's that's correct. Um, you know, the youth. It's very sort of like, oh, the dangers of computer games. It's very much written by grown-ups to put to, to, because who don't understand the technology. I'm assuming that Killer Bong is going to be something about uh, the dangers of smoking. See, I a nice bit of kush, but I think it's more that it's trying to deliberately target stoners because they know that, that that's their main audience. So actually, the way arcade presents itself, there's a little bit where one person says, hey, look, I need to speak to this person because if you don't let me speak to them, I'm going to go to the press and tell them the game is whispering in our ears and telling us to commit suicide, which is kind of playing on the killer video game scares of the early 90s. But actually, I think this film is fairly video game positive. I don't think it seems to like chastise the teens involved for playing video games, just playing one which tries to kill them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So they like don't. So it's against VR specifically. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you were just playing uh, Sonic, you'd be fine. But as soon as you stick your, this, your face in the helmet, or you're in, <laughs> also, it's not actually a helmet, is it? It's literally just a pipe that they put their eye up against. Mm-hmm. Back um, in my day, it was just the old peep shows, the older. You put in a coin, see a, a flick book full of a saucy girl, like a flapper taking a top off. It's all very innocent. You, you of course, were raised in Victorian England. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. One, one was. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we're talking about the writer. I was very surprised yes. to see this is um, a script by a Miss, Mr. David S. Goyer, the writer of, amongst other things, is it Man of Steel and the yep. Blade films? And he was just the go-to superhero guy for a little bit. Batman Begins, I think he... Uh, did he co-write that or write the whole thing? I, I think he wrote Batman v Superman. And did he do the other ones, just the story? He, he did the... He, I, he contributed to the Nolan ones. Mm. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, I think he wrote the... Did he write the really bad... Uh, yeah, Batman versus Superman, like Apocalypse or whatever it's called. Dawn of Justice. Oh, you did that one? Oh, right. Oh, the actual produced one as well, not the shitty one that never came out. Okay. I mean, there seems to be so many iterations of Batman right now. It's hard to pin down. <laughs> yeah. But yes, this must have been... I mean, I this is a complete assumption, but I wonder if this is one of his earlier works. Or his, <laughs> of his oeuvre. Yeah. Well, he did write a few of the Full Moon Entertainment uh, releases, including Demonic Toys. So this was clearly his starting ground, like... Roger Corman would do with the likes of uh, Jack Nicholson and Francis yeah. Ford Coppola and such. But instead we got the writer of Batman v Superman out of this. I, so I, I love the fact that he, I bet he had that thing, he was writing this crap for Charles Band for a few years, and his heart was going, this is just garbage I'm writing. One day I've got ambition, I want to write movies about grown men in tights. <laughs> the other superhero connection is the director, Albert Pyun. Yes. Who, um, among other works such as Cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Kickboxer 2, not starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, he also directed the original ill-fated Captain America produced by Canon Films. But the, the, the one which actually came out? Yeah. The, the 1991, I, yeah. I actually loved that when I was a kid. I haven't seen that since probably the first time it came on BBC. I loved that. Mm. The Red Skull, he looked so gross. It was so icky. It was nasty. And, you know, I just think the MCU could use a little bit of that, to be honest. 
a sort of a bit of uncomfortableness, a bit of, is this actually for children? <laughs> <laughs> Which is much like Arcade. Yes, absolutely. I've become obsessed with Albert Pion since watching this again. I've just been reading his Wikipedia thing. What a bizarre career. Have you looked up his history? No, I haven't, no. He, so he, he's uh, Hawaiian. He was making films there. He ended up getting... He was making short films with friends. Somehow he got an internship with working for Toshiro Mifune in Japan, working wow. on a Kurosawa movie, on an Akira Kurosawa movie, learning the trade. He then, when that didn't happen, he ended up working... He didn't end up working the movie. He ended up working on a TV show with Mifune and getting tutored by... I can't remember his name now, but he was... Uh, Kurosawa's cinematographer um, in the 50s. So he was trained by the best people in the wow. history of cinema. And the direct line from Seven Samurai <laughs> to Arcade is a hell of a journey. I don't know. I mean, maybe to share to share for Mifuni one day, I was just saying, imagine, imagine if there was an arcade game which was got inside your head. Don't blame this on Toshiro Mifuni. Not everything's his fault. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing to prove he didn't say that. So I'm going to assume that he did. There's no way to check now. You, but that, I love the fact you waited till he died to make that claim. Well, actually, no. Unfortunately, story by Toshiro Mifuni. <laughs> yeah. But no, we've we have got in the credits in the opening credits based on an original idea <laughs> by Charles. Is it Brand or Band? Band. Charles Band, based on an original idea by Charles Band, which. I feel it reminds me of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place when things are based on an original yeah. whistle by <laughs> Garth yeah. Marenghi. And the font at the start, it's the same font as the Sega game Afterburner. I recognise that font. I've I think got... unintentional. I don't know, mind. I've got written here, font talk. But I think, I think, <laughs> I think we've, um, we've, we've, we've done it, we've covered it. So moving on. At Dante's Inferno. The ultimate video game has come to life. This is arcade, and it's all done in virtual reality. It's so real, you'll actually think that you're in the game. I am arcade. If you want to play games, you picked the wrong machine. You gotta try this thing. And all you need to play are two quarters and your soul. I think the game is alive somehow. If you won't play the game by my rules, then I'll play in your world. Now, two teenagers will play for their lives. Kiss reality goodbye forever. And enter an electronic world where virtual reality has become flesh and blood. Congratulations, Alex. You've almost made it to the final level. Arcade. Kiss reality goodbye. I should probably just maybe give a little synopsis yes. before we go any further. Because uh, as tradition, we usually take a look at the back of the box. 
and I have a recent DVD release version here. Wow. And the tagline is, the game wants to play with you. Ooh. Specifically. And, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, looking at the DVD bots. You write your name on the front. <laughs> this DVD belongs to Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so the plot, as per the batch of the bots... All the kids in town are dying to play the hot new video game, Arcade. Trouble is, once you play the game, you can kiss reality goodbye. Arcade has seven levels of excitement, adventure, and terror for its players. The game transports you to another world with its stunning graphics, thrilling sound effects, and virtual reality simulation. It is the ultimate experience in a video game. But excitement like this doesn't come cheaply. When you battle with Arcade, you're putting your life on the line. The kids have accepted the challenge and are absorbed into the game. Only Alex, Megan Ward, realises that their mysterious disappearances are linked to Arcade. She must battle the game alone. Too bad she's never been very good at games. That's such a low-key insult at the end of this description. Yeah. But you read that like an infomercial. Like JNB. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it, yeah. You gotta, yeah, you gotta give it some of that uh, that pizzazz that only John Delancey could give it. And just, all the kids in town are dying to play the hot new video game, <laughs> arcade. Uh, it's, what's it? It's, is she not? I guess she isn't very good at computer games. I forgot about that. But then you have to put that at the end. Otherwise, where's the tension? You know, if it ended with too bad, oh, like she must battle the game alone, and she's fucking epic. Well, <laughs> we've covered so many films where they forget forget basic things like having stakes. So. Towards the end of the film, when she's in the game and the guy who claims to be the best at games, he's eliminated. You're like, oh my god, the one person who's no good at games is in the game. I think, you know... Unlike, say, Ready Player One, where it's just like, oh, our hero's the best at video games ever? Great. <laughs> there was a lot of Ready Player One vibes I got out of this. Like, yeah. they had to put on these special gloves. And I could just imagine, especially in this day and age, with uh, with washing your hands and things, just going to arcades and sticking your hands into gloves filled with terror sweat yeah. and things. It's like, yeah. no thank you. But uh, gosh, where to begin with this film? Where to begin, Rory? You, you lead the way. Well, I guess we're sort of introduced to our main character, Alex. And it's a very strange opening. It's very hazy and, as Dan said, dreamlike. It kind of looks, the way the whole film is shot, actually, it looks like it's an FMV running off a CD-ROM. Yes, it's got that it's same sort of like there. look and feel, and particularly the grainy version that we were watching um, adds I, to that. I wondered if this opening act had been directed by David Lynch, because... It is very slow motion. Uh, poor Alex, she wakes up on the morning her mother shoots herself in the head. And it just, I just imagined like the, the music from Twin Peaks sort of building here as she discovers her mum. And uh, the dialogue, I mean, throughout, but especially here, is very stilted. It is, and I think you're being very generous with the David Lynch comparison because I wrote down <laughs> Edward D. Wood Jr. Mm. <laughs> it's, 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 it, that scene with the psychiatrist is... It's not the dialogue. The actual words are saying isn't too bad, but it's the way that they deliver them, which is something about, yeah, you know, I've had trouble sleeping since my mother died. Yes, <laughs> yeah, if there's no pause or anything, like, I, I would have said died. All right, just give me a sec, psychiatrist. Um, and it, it just reminded me of every exposition scene in an Edward Junior movie. 
You mean it gets the job done? It gets the job <laughs> done, and at no point do you think these are real people who it matters what happens to them. I never believed in heaven. But I learned to believe in hell when Mom sent me there. Just when you think I'm here, the moment's gone. Either everything's in the past or it's in the future. There is no now. So where are you then? I'm in the past. We don't have to stop now. Oh, no, that's okay. I've got a class coming up anyway. i got to study. I must tell you, I'm a little concerned about you, Alex. Your grades have fallen. That's going to limit your options in terms of college. It's been almost a year now since your mother... Killed herself? Yes. And now your father... He's a basket case. You know that. You've talked to him. He might as well be dead, too. Alex, would you like to come back again next week? Look, Dr. Weaver, I don't even know why I came down here. I can't get her out of my head, and there's nothing that you can say is going to change that. It's all my fault. I didn't try hard enough. Let her down. But I, I just really just I mean, this the the tone of this film. I don't know why this connected with it with me. It feels just like a bit grungy and a bit dangerous. Yeah. And it's like the the this the, the when they have an establishing shot of it because it's it's like you know scream. It's it's a teen slasher movie essentially. Is what mm. this is. So we have the, uh, after this weird dream sequence with the psychiatrist, not dream sequence, but mem- flashback of the mother committing suicide, which is an pretty heavy opening, pretty heavy for what is a fairly light movie. Then we've got the very oddly shot scene in the psychiatrist's office, which is very dark and foreboding. The camera's very, that's actually shot like an Orson Welles mm. scene, actually. <laughs> uh, and then after that, any, it's like it was the first two minutes was directed by somebody else. Mm. Um, and after that, we get an establishing shot of the school, and you expect, okay, now the next shot will be in the school or in the car park. And it's not. It's a waste ground, which <laughs> is part of the school with all rusted cars and a broken wall and five teenagers hanging out. And it's, and it's these weird decisions that are like, this is not like anything I've ever experienced. It, it's a hang of that dream quality. Well, at the same time, going the reason it feels like a dream is it's cheap as fuck, and they've had to do what they can. Yes. But the overall effect, which same for me, is it is like a, a bit of a fever dream. I think that scene where we're introduced to Alex's school friends, and yeah, we never see the interior of the school beyond this doctor counselor's office. I think it's just hanging out in this like strange, I guess like concrete car park or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think this sequence it sort of encapsulates just how this might be one of the worst made films we've covered. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I'm talking like Uwe Boll and Joysticks, and I think it's maybe even subpar. I'm not saying it's the worst, but I think just the worst made, because in this sequence, you just have this 
very strange editing. You have the background noise, so you can barely hear the dialogue, which is all very improv but it's not very experienced actors, so they're just sort of talking over each other and not really being very clear in what they're saying. And then you have the music come in and the sound mixing so off that you still hear background mm. ambient noise and it gets cut mid-music. It's just really badly stitched together. I think all the audio, all the dialogue in this is captured on set or on location. I don't yeah. think there's yeah. any ADR, apart from this one bit, which I'll get to later, which... It's very odd, but um, yes, uh, everyone seems to fade in and out. It's quite mumbly, and you know, I went for the subtitles, and they were not present on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, same, Damn same. it! <laughs> we introduced, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm watching Buffy for the first time at the moment, and we get Seth Green in Buffy, and we get Seth Green here playing a character called Stilts, and. He could not be more different from the gentle and kind and loving character that we get in Buffy. He's freaking horrible, but I kind of love it. <laughs> I kind of love how it's Seth Green doing it. Um, he, him and Alex's boyfriend, Greg. In fact, pretty much everyone Alex tries to bear her soul to and say, you know, it's been a year since my mum died and I'm in therapy. Everyone's got a very dismissive attitude to counsellors they're pretty much like counsellors what do they know and um it's it just seems to be a real thing against counsellors back in the uh, early 90s i think maybe it was just cool to diss them but later uh, on uh, one of the characters nick is very dismissive of the fact that like her boyfriend greg goes missing and it's just like oh stop hassling me you've been so paranoid it's yeah, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Her- Mum shot herself in the head and her dad is quote-unquote a basket case. She's had it pretty rough. Just show a little tact and sensitivity. Mm. I mean, I think going back to Seth Green, when Alex is panicked and saying all our friends are disappearing, Stilts, a.k.a. Seth Green, says, "Um, should I go and get the straight jacket? Which doesn't seem very helpful. (laughs) And then Nick says, "Okay, we'll go along with this. But if if it turns out to be nothing then I don't want to hear about it again. He gives a real horrible ultimatum. I didn't like yeah. him. I didn't like Nick. No. It just sounds like he's going, he better be dead. <laughs> I'm going to be in a terrible mood. <laughs> Funny, I mean, in that scene, we've skipped ahead a bit, but in that scene, Alex is disturbed because all her friends are being really difficult to get hold of because... She's been phoning them all night and they're all engaged. And we're led to believe that's because uh, Arcade has taken over the phone lines. And then the next day she sees Stilts, who was one of the people who she called and was engaged. And, and, and Stilts is there and he's fine. And it was so clearly she was wrong about Stilts. He was just on the phone and not taken over. By I think he's justifying it because he's talking to Nick about some sweet girl that he was uh, seeing the night before and I think sort of mentions offhand that she kicked him in the balls or something, which oh, yeah. seems about right. Yeah, I wrote down his dialogue. So this is something that Oz, <laughs> Oz from Buffy the Vampire Slayer would not say. He says, um, <clears throat> I went on a date Oh, with Laura with the big, yeah, uh, so I grabbed them and I squeezed them. And then I got punched in the head and kicked in the balls. Ha, 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 ha. They, they laugh. I mean, it's cracking dialogue. I mean, David Escoya. Has he ever been better? I know. <laughs> he, he, he probably went undercover as a teenager to get that dialogue. It was remarkable. Yes, you seem suspiciously like an older man. But um, 
it might have been a teen movie from the 80s that everyone was suspiciously older looking anyway so anyway how's it going fellow kids (laughs) (laughs) indeed well we've talked a bit about alex who uh, she's kind of i like i like alex but i don't have much to say about her um i think nick is the male lead and he's best known for a christmas story isn't he yeah peter billingsley uh former i guess child actor though i guess still in the process of growing up here uh but he was the lead in a christmas story um a much beloved christmas movie at least in america maybe not so much well known here but it's it's pretty interesting it's directed by bob clark who also directed black christmas and it's a subversive take on the um uh, christmas sort of family movie uh but actually while he's still doing acting he's probably does more work as producer now uh, particularly with the works of john favreau he produced elf and zathura oh, really? and um made appearances in iron man and spider-man far from home oh wow more recently oh, i'm really glad he's working because this should really have ended his career <laughs> He kind of behaves and acts and sort of looks like he's 40 years old. <laughs> like in this movie, he's like constantly like shutting down Alex and like telling her off and just like saying, leave it alone. Um, but and yeah, I don't think he's very likable. But I think you, you mentioned earlier how maybe the budget in part creates this weird sort of world because there's, there's hardly any parents. There's, no. there's one guy like Alex's mum shot herself. Alex's dad is lying on the couch with no lines. Um, and well, I'll tell you how low the budget is. Um, when they had to redo it, Peter Billingsley was one of the VFX team as well. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> they genuinely, yeah, so they were just getting the cast to chip in. Wow. I mean, you know, I'm sure Dicky Attenborough did a lot of the VFX in Jurassic Park, as I recall. Yeah, he donned a Velociraptor costume at one point. Yeah, during the kitchen scene, that that Velociraptor with a twinkle in its eye in the kitchen scene—that's <laughs> that's that's our Dicky Attenborough. They oh, spared Dicky. They spared no expense apart from that bit. <laughs> and, he, and he brought his brother on. They go, does this look real? Yes, Dicky. Well, James Mason. Fuck it. He's playing David Attenborough. And now the dinosaurs are wandering across the the, the sort of the lawn bit. That's my impression. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's I don't I don't mind a low budget when it's when it's uh, when it's done this much, and I'm going to use this word just the once with this much verve. Oh, what was that? I, I, I'm I trying to trick you into saying it twice. Oh God damn it! <laughs> that's the trouble with this technology. This doesn't happen when you're doing a podcast in a real room. I got no. cut off, and I wouldn't have known. I'm going to say it one more time. This movie's got verve. Oh, <laughs> that gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> up and down my spine well no i think this is my this is my big thing i mean we've said this before time and again about um the, we've done i don't know 50 plus films now on this podcast jesus god I, we'd much rather see a film made with enthusiasm than sort of a ticking the boxes kind of film and quite often when you are like in the gutter you're looking up to the stars <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with this but um yeah i think this just just held my attention throughout. There's always something a bit odd happening. There's either like a performance that's slightly off kilter, or I don't know. I found certain aspects of arcade genuinely menacing. I mean, I found bits of the Lawnmower Man genuinely menacing because I think 
I shared the fear of the filmmakers of virtual reality monsters biting my face off. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I grew up in that period. I mean, I think part of the reason I enjoy this film so much is that the night before I watched loads of Top of the Pops 2 and it made me really um, <laughs> nostalgic <laughs> for late 80s and early 90s music. Like, I couldn't believe how many records Jason Donovan released in 1989. It was insane. <laughs> and so this kind of neatly filled into that vibe I was going through. It's not quite retro wave. What would you call it? Grunge wave? The early the early 90s? Uh, in early 90s, uh, yeah, this, this would be grunge. This was this has got a Seattle sound quality to it, hasn't it? It's uh, very put together in a garage. It's... Um, I... The thing is, but I mean, we're seeing that. I can't think of any... There are elements of it that are, that are very much of the time, what they're wearing and what they're dressed, but I've never... No movie's ever made me feel the way this movie does. It's sort of, like, fascinated and slightly dirty after. You feel weird after it. It's got a <laughs> dreamlike quality. It's like you have woken up from a nightmare. I think the arcade that a lot of the action centres on, the actual physical arcade as opposed to the game, is a sort of case in point. So the cool new game that everyone wants to play is called Arcade, developed by a company called Vertigo Tronics. And the coolest place in town to check it out is an arcade called Dante's Inferno, which I think is trying to be a clever name, but isn't. Like, there's no reference to it beyond that. I guess there's like the seven levels of the game. There's something like seven layers of hell. But oh, yeah, the actual arcade in question, Dante's Inferno, it's all very hazy. It's filled with artificial smoke. It kind of looks like where most 90s video game commercials yes, it does. Uh, yeah. is set. The exterior is clearly in a bad part of town. It's just a red brick wall that they've hung a cardboard sign that says Dante's Inferno on it and go, nobody will question it. And then you go inside and it feels like they uh, have filmed it in an S&M club at <laughs> afternoon they just chucked in some smoke dragged in some pinball machines and gone fuck it we've got 20 minutes have you ever seen irreversible the gaspar noe film uh with the eight minute rape scene uh yeah but i wasn't referring to that scene i'm referring to the kind of the start where they go into the sort of bdsm club and there's this oh, yeah, growling yeah. music uh which is very disconcerting um the dante's inferno in this film gave me that vibe yeah, okay. But the only machine I recognised in there was the Simpsons pinball machine. And I, I just... noticed that as well. Now, sh I'm surprised they were able to get that past like, licensing. They obscured it with too much artificial smoke, so hope no one would notice. I think they probably did, but uh, we all noticed it. And I was, I'm surprised because, I mean, Simpsons was, at that time, the most valuable IP on the face of the earth. I'm yeah. surprised they were able to get it in. Well, I mean, this... This film was released in 93, but wasn't it filmed in 91? And so The Simpsons would be, what, like a couple of years old? Yeah. I but 91 Simpsons was already yeah. Do the Bartman. I suppose, and, yes. Like, huge. I just got this vision, because it's meant to feel dangerous, this place. It's meant to feel like this is where... This is like the, the teenager's equivalent of a biker bar. And I can imagine just the toughest, meanest motherfucker is, like the pinball wizard of Simpsons pinball. And he's like, come over here, motherfucker. I'm going to take you to town in my high score. They oh, do get God. accosted by a big bully, though, who is the equivalent of the sort of, like, big, scary biker in the biker bar. Mm. Um, and uh, 
they're sort of talking about how cool Dante's Inferno is, and the buddy's like, give me a break, man. They got fucking space invaders in here. That shit's for retards. Yeah, written by David Escoyer. <laughs> Classic. Can you imagine, like, um, I don't know, Superman arriving at the Batcave and saying how Batman's shit is, is for retards? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... I don't think that would cut the mustard tape. Why, why, do, why do we encounter that guy? How does that move the plot forward in any way? Well, sense of threat that guess, never comes back. That never comes back. That's the thing. There's no payoff for that scene. And the thing is, on a movie with this, I'm, I'm going to assume a very low budget, based on all the evidence, it costs. It would have cost an extra 500 maybe maybe $1,000 to be able to get that actor, plus the two guys standing behind him. It's not worth it. Well, it, it introduces Arcade, because um, unfortunately I can't remember the feed line. Maybe somebody can help me out. But the Yeah, bu- I've got it. The, well, so the bully says... Who gives a fuck about Arcade anyway? And Arcade says, in your best Arcade voice... Try saying that to my face! <laughs> you sounded okay, like, for, yeah, you sounded like Bane there. Yeah. It's funny, huh? You think it's funny? You shit. I want you out of here. Yeah? Well, your place sucks, man. Who gives a fuck about Arcade anyway? Try saying that to my face. Ooh, pretty scary. Out of the way, kids. Out of the way. Mr. Finster, how are you? You look rested. Come on, kids. I got something to show you in the other room. We'll blow a hole in your shorts. So how about you? You want to give it a try? Oh, no, no. It wouldn't be much of a challenge. See, uh, Alex always loses. Never-ending design problems. That's what I heard. So aside from the package, what makes Arcade so different? Now, there's a man after my own heart. Straight to the point. What makes Arcade different is the way it reacts. It responds like a human does. Each time you play it, it changes its strategy. It learns. It adapts. And it's all done in virtual reality. It's so real, you'll actually think that you're in the game. It's impossible. You think so? I should give it a go. I go for it. I like. I would like Arcade's voice to be performed as the the uh, writer Alan Bennett. <laughs> I think just. I think it works better. I as I was going through. I was, yeah, Try saying that to my face was much more. <laughs> in my, that's can how we, I played it when I was watching it, and that's how. Can we go? It. Can we go back and not just redo the CG, but redo all of Arcade's lines with Alan Bennett? Could Could Alan please tell me to kiss reality goodbye, bitch? Well, you can kiss reality goodbye, yeah, yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Unsold. <laughs> Since we've got John Delancey, we could call, do Arcade for Next Generation with um, with the cast. Yeah. 30. We, we upgraded Arcade. Wow, what have you done to it? We've changed the voice to Alan Bennett. <laughs> I mean, you know, with all the films being pushed back, they're trying to fill these cinemas with classic films like uh, 1989's Batman and 1993's Arcade for Next History Generation. Alan Bennett, Arcade 2, The History Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, three, that's three tickets. I think we need to do a bit yeah, better than that. Yeah, I see the fuck out of that. Um, but we're introduced, this is where we're introduced properly to Difford, played by John Delancey. And in about, I mean, within a second or two, he's doing a most epic eye roll. And... It just made me really wish John Delancey was in more films. Oh, he's just... wonderful. And I, what I love about his performance in this is, I've, and I've never seen an actor do this before, he is both hamming it up massively and phoning it in at the same time. <laughs> and I've never seen that. He looks, as an actor, he looks annoyed to be there, and yet he is also committed to the role. It's quite a remarkable thing to watch. I mean, and it also kind of speaks to his character because you get the impression that because it's this evil arcade game that he's somehow... Um, malevolently involved in pulling the strings but turns out he's just kind of like an idle pen pusher and it just so happens he's not responsible for yeah, the no. evil of a video game he just kind of sits in an office looking bored he's, yeah, the marketing guy. he's like gill from the simpsons he's like oh, come on now i gotta make another <laughs> sale on the homicidal <laughs> video game oh boy you know it's just, i feel really sorry for him it's a weird character arc he has. i mean he's a marketing guy but he's also extremely rude to all the kids he grabs seth green by the head and pushes him out of the way at one point and but most bizarrely is that as soon as the other grown-up character in this um albert i mean the, the credits go make a point of saying um what is it says and norbert wesser as albert who is the programmer but as soon as albert is introduced john delancey disappears and he's never seen again and i thought i thought it'd be lovely if there was some sort of an arc for him where he is a really cynical money man who just he doesn't care about what his product is doing to the kids and he has a, a change of hearts but we have these just two grown-ups and um you know yeah oh, I, I, I hadn't thought of that yeah he's got basically his entire arc is he seems like a prick uh, and at the end uh, not even at the end halfway through he, uh, he goes he, home. He goes home a bit sad because <laughs> the, the other salesman was mean to him at work. Yeah. It, well, he, he's introduced his first line, I think, apart from, ooh, pretty scary, is when he tries to get the kids to go and play arcade. He says, come on, kids, I've got something to show you in the other room. It will blow a hole in your shorts. I've got several notes about this line. <laughs> <laughs> like... So there's a few ways. A strange to man who they've never met asks a bunch of children in a video game arcade to go into the back room with him because he's got something that will blow a hole in your shorts. Now, <laughs> now does so one point one. It, the character could be a pervert, and he's like Jimmy Savilling this. He he's being very overt, and it's only later that you realise. Oh, hang on, he absolutely said he was doing this sort of thing. Two, he is completely oblivious to what he's just said. Which I think is troublesome in in, in certain ways. <laughs> Does it know. mean what? What do we? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. What do we think he thinks he means when he says, "Blow a hole in your shorts"? Like they all shit themselves very fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
a very powerful erection that will just tear through. I mean, what, what, could, what, what well, the fuck is he thinking? I mean, there'll be all sorts of prob- problems if it was a literal thing which happens. So, like, they, they, they get because they, um, they give home versions of arcades to people and they give them little marketing cards, and he gets his cards back. And across the board, I've had to triple my expenditure on shorts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just. Uh... So did you the uh, you did the, um, the presentation of the new product? Yeah, what happened? Um, there's a problem. Yeah, what, what's what's wrong? Is it working? Oh, it's it's working. Um, everyone, and I mean everyone, when they play the game, is shitting themselves. <laughs> oh, that's a problem. I haven't finished yet. They are shitting themselves. It's not even. It's coming out. You'd think it'd come out loose. It's coming out very <laughs> solid, and it's been shot through like a cannon of crap. And I think it's a problem with the machine. <laughs> if it happened once, I would be like, oh, it's just, you know, probably a viral thing. Like, it's happened every time I've presented it all around the country. This machine's making people shit cannonballs. <laughs> well, I mean, let's look at this another way. Um, we, you know, there's a lot of people who are constipated in this world. And, you know. But I guess yeah. a spin for the marketing man, then, is to just bill Arcade as the world's first virtual reality laxative. Yeah, you just go, if brand flakes aren't working for you, ask your doctor if Arcade could be the product for you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's one problem with that, because you need a donor, but we'll get to the donor inside Arcade a bit later on, I think. We see the machine itself for the first time, and were you as impressed as the kids were? <laughs> With a balsa wood thing that's been spray-painted back as early as just before they started shooting. Oh, it's got yes. a TV at the front. Be careful, kids. It's wet paint. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, mechanism for putting your eyes onto that pipe seemed quite... It didn't seem very uh, ergonomic, did it? It Yeah, just um... in case no one... Just in case anyone listening hasn't seen Arcade, what we've come to think of as being virtual reality is that it's it's a thing that allows full motion of your head Mm. to have the sense that you're actually somewhere if you look around. Bear in mind... You can't look around. No, it's in, true. Because you're solidly... You, it's just like you're, in, you're, you're put into this machine. There are two tubes that come to where your eyes are. You lean forward. There is no way you're going to feel like you're actually there. Mm. You're going to feel like you're in a cupboard with toilet rolls in your face. And then when Nick removes his eyes from the pipes, he's got two black rings around his eyes. And John Delance is like, got you, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's an elaborate plot to get rings I said wet paint. but it is pretty much like the nintendo virtual boy which came out in 94 i think and that again is a very cumbersome device yeah but again no one as far as i know the nobody went was driven mad homicidal or suicidal from playing the virtual boy nobody bought the fucker but if (laughs) i'm pretty sure they were sick but can you imagine like after some terrible massacre the feds go back to somebody's house and they've just got a room piled high with virtue boys like oh i was worried about this happening <laughs> yeah, yeah just, i warned they, them didn't i warn they, them when they finally found bin laden <laughs> oh my god hell, there's virtual boys everywhere this could have been stopped oh they just listened um but i don't know it amused me how the arcade machine was was uh run on 25 cents on like quarters and uh a little later on when the full extent of Arcade's terrible plan has has been uh, exposed, they go back to this arcade machine, and it won't run without a quarter 
And I'm just like, was was that his plan? Was that was Arcade's plan to accrue some loose change? <laughs> it's terrible. But also later on, we get two players entering the game at the once. And was there only one set of goggles, one set of gloves? I try. Mm. You get one. You get one eye hole each, I assume. Yeah, one glove each. And uh, you're you. Is it like when you sit on your hand and it doesn't really feel like your hand? And um, I'll stop there. I mean, one thing I noticed was how, because it's boring to look at somebody with their face on a pipe, we, we get a sort of a, a visual. <laughs> I mean, it's for some people. Talk for yourself. Um, but to to they go sort of Iron Man helmet, don't they, with seeing the actors' faces. They've got a blue light in their face and some sort of graphic in front of them. And I can just imagine when Iron Man came out like 15 or 16 years later that uh, the director of uh, Arcade was like, oh, I made that. I created yeah. that. That was mine. But hey, in the game itself, they get a lot of CGI corridors. And I mean... I know we were taking the mick out of the CGI, but I think this gets the gimme of it's meant to be a computer game. I mean, I think this looks better than Spike is 3D, which we did. I think it was less headache-inducing than that film. Yes, because it's a much smoother motion. Yeah, I, mean, I actually have watched Spike is 3D a lot recently because the kids just are really into it. But Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I know. Um it's really they're much of a muchness. They look quite similar. It's that plastic equality of CGI, isn't it? I mean, as I said, I just there's just something about it which unnerves me, and I think this this is just maybe the film. I I, I want to whisper. It's sort of it's succeeding. It's doing what it's trying to do, in this bit at least. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a complete coward. <laughs> were you? Were you? So this this moment. You, you became scared when it went in the... Um, well, it worked as a horror film for you in this moment. So, I mean, Nick plays the game and then he gets freaked out and then he hits the escape button, which is located at the top of his joystick and it will absolutely be accidentally used a hundred times if this went to market. Yeah. Um, but then Greg, the boyfriend, gives it a go and he's on his own. He's been left behind and he fails the game and he turns a corner and a terrifying metal skull with sharp teeth attacks him and it scared me <laughs> i just i don't know i don't like it i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> i i i will i'm not the bravest person in the world i'm not a huge fan of horror i coped with it okay do you, i mean do you think it earns its 15 rating? Yeah, why is it a... I, I think it's, it's just all the swears. Yeah, yeah. There are so many swear words. I mean, the whole film feels to me like a Goosebumps episode. Like, it's got that same sort of tone and feel and level of um, budget and attention yeah. paid to it, I think. But just every now and then, someone will just drop an F-bomb. Um, and I'll just be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, and of course, like the suicide stuff and yeah, you oh, know yeah. other themes. themes. But yeah, you're right. A lot. Of, it reminds me. Uh, it reminds me of uh, what was the show in the night? Eerie Indiana. Do you remember that? Oh, I adored that show. Yeah. yeah kind of like, so it, it's got that vibe, and it's got the whole. I mean, it doesn't fit plot-wise. It's kind of a Twilight Zone premise, but it's it's done like a '90s kids show. Yeah, you're right. 
Um, but for whatever reason, I guess it's just Charles Band wanting to be edgy. Okay, in this one, we're not having any tits. So everyone just says, <laughs> fuck. Okay, and action. <laughs> yeah, looking through the full, moon, the full moon selection on Amazon Prime, I think we've picked the one film without boobs. Um, just uh, a description of them being squeezed, but, but that's it. So we, we've we dodged that uh, booby bullet with this film. <laughs> Um, I mean, also, I guess another way it earns its rating is is the I mean, the word "bitch" used a lot, which is not really a swear word, but it gave me really big Freddy Krueger vibes when this uh, the voice of Arcade, who's constantly speaking, and um, I guess trying to hmm, I don't what, get what in is, your mind. Get in your mind. I mean, actually, I've never played a video game which basically is being witheringly insulting to you throughout. If it's just Imagine playing, I don't know, Mario and Shigeru Miyamoto was just commenting on how badly you're doing of in the game. Just saying, oh, you missed that jump again, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of Mario Kart 64, it's like, hey, you're pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a couple of things about this game. Okay, let's think about this game. Arcade. One, it seems to be unbeatable and... Being being grown ups with responsibilities and lives and things, if I have any resistance in a video game now, I just can't be asked. I, I I absolutely agree. I've had this I've had this conversation multiple times. Like I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima right now. I'm playing on easy because at the end of the day, I want to feel like I'm a samurai. Mm. I don't want to have to do half the training required to actually be a samurai to play that game in normal, right? So this is what I'm looking for. I want the fa- the the. the the fantasy element of it i don't actually want to challenge i think it's when games have a sort of very arbitrary way of making it difficult where it's just like oh it's the same game but it now takes twice as much ammunition to fell an enemy and we've put fewer resources mm. now it's hard rather than actually like constructing a game with a flow of difficulty a flow of challenge i mean the game posits the film posits that arcade is an artificially intelligent and adaptive video game. So it's learning. And that is still the dream. To have a... I mean, just to sidestep the moral implications of maybe making a sentient PlayStation 5 game. <laughs> but um, it's a game which adapts and learns and does its very best to beat you. But, I mean, I haven't played Alien Isolation in about four or five years because I got to a bit where every fucking time i turned a corner the alien would get me and i just thought i've I've had enough sorry (laughs) sorry ripley um just wait you mean the you mean the uh islanders and animal crossing aren't really my friends they are no in fact some of them told me they don't like you very much imagine i mean if in animal crossing there was one random islander who was absolutely a serial killer this like um hedgehog would arrive on the island and then the murders would start. <laughs> and you weren't like, what, what is this? And there's this, there's, this one, there's this one animal in all of Animal Crossing which plays you. Which, um, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to play that game anymore. But yeah, back to my point though. We, we learn that there is more to this artificial intelligence than just programming. And I still am not 100% sure if a new who are they going to sell this to? <laughs> That's just the thing. So they uh, after their 
friends increasingly disappear playing this arcade game. They're all given free home versions of the mm. game, which comes with the goggles, comes with the gloves, doesn't come with reinforced underwear for the blowing mm. your hole out in your shorts, though. Um, <laughs> underwear not included. But they decide to sort of take matters into their own hands and, and skipping ahead, they meet this creator of the game, Albert, who shares the name of the director. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. But he explains that they haven't been able to beat the game, and yet they're releasing all these home versions and testing it because it yes. adapts to the player. And it's just like, that seems like, you know, basic quality assurance. Mm. You would test a game before you release it. And I know it's meant to be sentient, but at least reach the final level. You stay one patch. Stay one patch. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Put a cheat mode in. Just put God mode on. Also, when we first meet Albert, he is, he's got the goggles on and he's just in his office screaming. <laughs> yes. And nobody brings that up to me. It's no. Like, Albert, ah, ah, yes, can I help? Like, hey, yes, <laughs> these are just two teenagers. They're afraid that a system might be killing people. Okay, I'm going to go for dinner. Yeah. yeah and it's... Not a, a normal person would say, I, are you all right? <laughs> yeah, because you seem to be screaming alone in your office. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm fine. What is it, Tuesday? That's just my Tuesday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so this scene has this weird edit I mentioned earlier with a weird bit of ADR because um, they're talking about what happens when uh, the game gets you via something called a screamer. They talk, uh, they do all this sort of cod philosophy about how fate or time catches up with you. But then, like, suddenly there's a bit of ADR where Nick says... What aren't you telling us? And then Albert suddenly reveals he he's his tone completely changes from a frenzied mad scientist to somebody very s seriously saying how they used a dead person's brain to code arcade. Nothing unethical. We just used a hundred thousand brain cells. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was a shift. Each level, you have progressively less time to complete until. And if you can't find the doorway, bam, you know. If you're lucky enough to cross the sea of darkness and collect your fourth key, you get a free life. Without a free life, there's no margin of error and it gets harder. The next half of the game takes place inside Arcade's brain. <laughs> Urban scenario, lots of concrete and steel. Ugly and mean. Screamer comes even faster here. What aren't you telling us? All right. All I can tell you is that it involves a downer. All right? Look, he was brain dead already, so it's not like, you know, anything unethical happened. We, you know, we only used a few hundred thousand brain cells. It's not a big deal. No. That's just it. It's alive there. It's the one changing the rules. Well, it's supposed to be the ultimate challenge, you know? People driving themselves crazy trying to beat it, sitting in front of their television for days, frying their brains. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> Keep them glued to the tube. Listen, you want my best advice? Don't play this game. Stay clear of it, period. 
it really is very casually dropped in the conversation and then they just carry on talking about the nature of arcade and how to beat it and some you know hints and tips on getting to the next levels but it's just something like um i can't tell you anything it's just there was a donor involved yes he's very cagey He's, but not that cagey, because I can't tell you much. All I'm telling you is we ripped out a human brain. He goes, I can't tell much, and then tells them everything that they need to know. Like they said, there's a human brain in there. Um, also, it uh, runs Linux. That's the only thing I'm not supposed to tell. <laughs> right? But, I mean, so who's the bad... Is there a bad guy? Because it's, it's either John Delancey differed, sort of being the marketing guy and doesn't care... Or it's Albert, who, like he, he he's positioned as a good guy, but he is also the programmer. So, what happened? Was he like, I don't know how to make this game unbeatable. I mean, like a human brain. Have we tried that? Give me a human brain. <laughs> yeah, I was watching Frankenstein uh, last night. I didn't watch it till the end, so I don't know where it ends. <laughs> yeah, see, but they had a brilliant idea. Yeah, this uh, guy. I like this guy. <laughs> I mean, I was expecting. It to be like a serial killer, like something yeah, out same. of like term um Robocop two. I thought this is def he's definitely a serial killer because he's acting kind of like a serial killer, killing everyone <laughs> as a serial killer. So I want to do. That's that's kind of in their job description. But it turns out to be a little kid. Yeah. A little kid. Arcade says that the donor's mummy hit him until he went to sleep forever. I mean, is that's not traditionally how one goes to sleep. That's traditionally how you murder a child. But yeah. he just doesn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. Do you mean you were murdered? Yes, I was. I was murdered by my dear mother. Oh, oh. Let's let it keep down gently. I just it's just a... too gruesome. I know I've been trying to kill you for the last two days, but I don't want to use vulgar, vulgar words like murder. It's such a dirty word, isn't it? <laughs> it's just a really weird dark thing to drop in and I, I i get it it's like from the twisted mind of david s goyer and it's meant to be <laughs> chilling and menacing but the rest of the film as i said feels very kind of goosebumpsy light stupid frolics um but then it's just like this whole thing where arcade is like saying oh alex just like you my parents abandoned me and the whole thing at the end where sort of he traps Alice in the game so she's forced to sort of relive the moment that her mum kills herself again and again and her mum gets back up and says, I am dead and it's not been so bad being dead. You'll see, I'll take you with me and then shoots Alice in the head as well. It's just like, whoa, so edgy and twisted. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's got that somebody, either he thought it was cool or the producer was like, eh. Make it fucking dark. I'm, I, I don't know. Charles Band in my head is now <laughs> from last <laughs> Make it fucking dark, right? I tell you what. It needs more guts, right? So kill the mother. That's me, I think. And make it bloody, right? Anyway, I gotta go have a golf game now. You sort it out. <laughs> and it, it 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 does feel like that's just it, tonally. This movie's all over the shop because sometimes it feels like you said a teen movie, and then it feels like it's just grown men crowbarring guts in for the sake of it. The main character, she. I just appreciate that she had stakes. She has some. She has a hook to her. She she feels she's always a failure. She feels like she's let her mum down, and none of her friends really 
believe her. There is like the hysterical woman trope that you get in a lot of horror films. No one's believing her. and yeah. But she's saying to herself how she's always failing and her failing her friends. And it feels really triumphant when she wins, especially as she uh, isn't a good video gamer. It's It's weird, though, because when you do a virtual reality video game, it's not really playing a game, is it? It's more like an assault course. I don't know. I know... I wouldn't look very good in those figure-hugging virtual reality skin-type <laughs> black suits. Not this tubby guy. It's, uh... it, was, yeah, everyone just looks like they. You know, um, you ever seen the sperm scene from the Woody Allen film? Everything I oh, about sex. Very everyone much just so. Dressed like a sperm. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to be able to look at the film the same way now. <laughs> I feel like we've kind of gone all over a place a little bit. Let's get back on track. The only thing I really have to say about the stuff before they enter the enter the arcade game is um when they're trying to track down what's happened to their friends, they come across is it Laurie? And I was really amused by how Laurie's not answering her front door, and so Alex rushes to the back door, sees her and sighs and says she's here. And then we cut to Laurie sat cross-legged in front of a static television, like something out of Poltergeist. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, that's a relief. Hang on. I'm not getting a good vibe about this. <laughs> then we get some light effects and smoke effects. And I really appreciated how there wasn't like a CGI vortex like you'd get out of Buffy. Because Buffy the Vampire Slayer has some pretty dodgy CGI. But uh, I, I just I just really enjoyed the scene. There's just a lot of wind effects. A uh, good wind effects this film has. <laughs> good wind effects. I believe I saw a similar quote on the box for the VHS. <laughs> <Are> there... <laughs> Since we talked about VHS, I think Rory mentioned that there is a a 1993 video box, a 1993 video box, which is which is kind of spoilerific. Would this be a good time to introduce that? So I read the DVD bots uh, from a more recent release, but the whole twist, the whole crux of this little boy being arcade in the movie is laid flat out on the original UK VHS bots, because it says, there's a new video game at Dante's Inferno and the kids are dying to play it. It's arcade, a prototype with a life of its own, or rather that of a young tormented child. The game is guided by an organic mother chip patterned after the boy's brainwaves and is an exciting adventure where the player enters the electronic world and becomes a part of the deadly game. Yada yada yada. But <laughs> It's kind of like saying, Darth Vader, brackets Luke's father, still pursues the Rebel Alliance across the galaxy. <laughs> it's like, oh, hang on. I don't know, I haven't watched the original trailer yet at time of recording, so I don't know whether it plays that up or not. I mean, that's kind of why I like doing this podcast sometimes, because I, I have no knowledge of a film going in. And so I do get extremely surprised. But also I'm very stupid and naive and I don't see a twist coming until on the car ride home, really. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite a happy-go-lucky film watcher quite a lot of the time. Um, but after the, the, the activity at Laurie's house... They decide to go back to the arcade machine and, uh, not the home version, go back to the arcade machine and go into the game world itself. And and the, this is what I remember. In my head, the whole movie was the was like the last 20 minutes. Mm. Yes. So like, um, is it the Goonies, when you watch it as an adult, and you're like, they only fucking go on the quest like an hour in or something. 
I just I remember rewatching it as an adult, and it's like, whoa! I thought it was one-eyed Willy all the way, but it's a, a lot of stuff. Which it's I weird that we move. I, I watched I watched Willy Wonka with the kids for the first time, like since I saw it as a kid. Willy Wonka doesn't turn up for like an hour in. The mm. rest is just very depressing stuff shot in post-war Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, perhaps that's just the problem with cinema today. I mean, they 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 have to always start in media res. They always have to have a lot of excitement just to make sure that you don't walk out of a film. Um, but... <laughs> well, I guess they're all like making these movies in the anticipation that people are going to stream them. So you need to capture the audience in the mm. first two minutes. Otherwise, they'll flick onto something else. I just think films should be allowed to be boring <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> just an, an hour of boredom for a change. Hey, we watched The Wizard. That was oh. an hour of boredom no. followed by ten yeah. minutes of someone playing Mario. I stand corrected. Let, let me ask you, what is the most boring film that you have watched over the course of this quest of yours? I'm going to say Wing Commander. Well, I still I, I, have boredom nightmares about that film. Yeah, that's. I like that a little bit more than Rory, but that's that's. I mean, for something which is trying to be Star Wars, it it felt very short of Star Wars. Um, gosh, it felt very long though. Gosh, I I mean, I probably do have to go. I wouldn't say boredom, but I'm surprised that you've allowed your children to watch Spy Kids 3D because I, I went on record by saying anyone who on the podcast I said anyone who what allows their kids to watch that film hates their children so I'm, I'm sorry to bring this up so late into the podcast but I um this is now an intervention isn't it this is sort you, of an intervention. are you with social services it's a sting operation yeah um I mean I, I assume you're not recording with your kids in the room because they are now in a van being taken away um to oh, a place of God, safety but... The twist is that was my plan all along. <laughs> yeah, I, I, fa I mean, I mean, fair play to you for sitting through that more than once because uh, I forced myself to watch the Spy Kids trilogy uh, in all in one go, pretty much, and I, I found by the end, I, um, whew, I don't Did you know. Like the first one. And we're off topic now, but I genuinely think the first one is a, is a good, uh, inventive movie. I found the first. I found the first one a bit of a struggle. Okay. I, I think. I think Robert Rodriguez and and people of his ilk who have their own little uh, sort of cottage empire, probably a lot like the director of this film. <laughs> you know, they they the more the less people who say no to them, the yeah more difficult it comes to have quality control. I think the the other one they did. Oh God, what was the other one he did? Shark Girl. Laugh a boy and Shark Girl with Taylor right. Lautner yeah, as a Shark Boy. I has been on. They they went through a phase of watching that a lot. Now that is unbearable. At least at least Spy Kids 3D has Sylvester Stallone giving a and I'm going to say this and mean it a career best performance. No, I actually that was the that was the saving grace of Spy Kids 3D. Um, he was fantastic and and unrecognized sadly <laughs> i think i mean since we're now the shark boy and lava girl podcast i think it, it befits me to say there is a a sequel to shark boy and lava girl returning to netflix which was announced uh, just the other other day i've got Bloody to 24th yeah. of july here but like, they are going to have a netflix movie and because it's robert Rodriguez, i absolutely believe that's definitely going to happen so um but fortunately, they've never been in a video game, so we don't have to deal with that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough, though. 
Mm. But, you know, Robert Rodriguez, uh, director I respect very much. But, um, you know what, I just don't think these films about teenage spies uh, are really aimed at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're aimed at a six uh, and eight year old girls who live in my house. Exactly. Perfect. I think there are more teenage spy movies than there are actual spy movies. There are more movie parodies about spy films than there are actual spy films. Mm. John le Carre's Spy Teen. <laughs> <laughs> young Smiley. <laughs> oh my god. The Young Smiley adorable. Adventures. Oh. Why hasn't that happened? Smiley goes to the circus. Brackets a real circus mm. this time. Exactly. <laughs> All these concepts sound far more entertaining than Spike is 3D. <laughs> but um, we, we entered the game world and again, I got, as I say, Ready Player One vibes because it's all about chasing keys, isn't it? Yeah, they've got some intel from the programmer, Albert, and Alex has handily written the schematics, she calls them, on her arm. But it's just some Sharpie marker pen, and it just sort of says the names of the levels, but doesn't actually give any information about the positions of the keys or the doors or where they have to go. Oh, and no how did... help whatsoever, no. And how did she know that that was going to be preserved when entering the game realm? Like, their clothes all change, and then it's just like, oh no, we don't have the piece of paper with the schematics on it. And it's just like, yeah, I wrote it down on my arm. It's just like... Yeah, but how do you know that's going to be in your virtual self? It's not like you go into a video game and you've got, like, the same tattoos you have or, I don't know, piercings or whatever. Why would marker pen survive the um, process? Well, you know, it's probably because she is not a video gamer, she doesn't think about that sort of thing. <laughs> so she, I think she gets to think outside the box because um, the person who goes in with her, Nick, he claims he's the best of the best. But, you know, he doesn't keep the distance. So she does the best because she doesn't... She's not adhering to the rules of the game. But they do this level one where we've seen everyone repeatedly fail and die on. And now they know where the door is and now they know where the key is. But there's this whole time pressure of getting to the next level. But they take their sweet time. Even when they're at the door, they take about a minute just to walk through it. And earlier on, people were being killed by the streamer with his uh, seconds. Well, it's not, it felt like the, it was like a maze, wasn't it? I mean, they say the game is super duper adaptive, but level one is always this maze of spikes on the walls, which you walk through using a yes, skateboard. I've never quite understood. What is arcade learning there? Like, I mean, it's just, oh, I better, better go quicker. Otherwise, these damn kids. I, I, it, there's nothing in that game that I get. Based <laughs> on what any of the characters have said about the game, that's not visible on screen. Because also, I'm not sure... Are they controlling the, where they go in the world? Because it's very smooth and it's a very con consistent speed. So I'm not sure what they're going to be doing differently. I think we're meant to believe they are controlling where they go. But as we said, the, the CGI is so basic that they, are, they can't really show <laughs> any, any interaction. Yeah. People forget this. 1993, they hadn't figured out how to do turns in CGI yet. No. <laughs> They later, I think level three or four is a sky cycle sequence. But unlike Tron, where you see people straddle these light cycles, they sort of, they just, they see a light cycle and then the very, sorry, they see a sky cycle and the very next shot is of extreme close up of their face with like a, a little bitty bit 
of Sky Cycle in the corners. They're not you can't see anything they're touching. That may have been because they were getting sued. Could <laughs> be. Because Disney definitely it's... actually genuinely threatened them. You can still see the original footage used for that. There is a behind-the-scenes yes. um, clip on YouTube from a video zone which was produced by Full Moon Entertainment as kind of like a subscription video package where you got all this behind-the-scenes footage. And the actual original CGI version is in its entirety on YouTube, uh, oh. but it's in Italian. Okay, because well. it's like a kind of Italian version screened for an Italian film festival in the early 90s. So if you want to see what the original Tron uh, potential copyright infringing cycles look like and the rest of the graphics in the video game, you can you can watch that. Do you know any Italian, Dan? Uh, pizza. I was just hoping to get some Italian Alan Bennett. That's... That's hello, uh, right? Yeah. What was a? There's got to be a. There's got to be a. Um, a famous Italian phrase that Alan could do. Lasagna. That famous Italian phrase, lasagna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it means lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, what's your favourite ABBA song? Um. Uh, oh, making your mind up. <laughs> Not Mamma Mia. No, it's shite. <laughs> oh, bless. It's Italian, though, Alan. All right. Mamma Mia. <laughs> Very good. The performing monkey, Alan Bellet, there. <laughs> Did you say Alan Bellin, then? I didn't, but now I'll, I'll think of nothing else. <laughs> it came through on the feed as, uh, please welcome Alan Bellend. Oh, you know that's not me name, you cheeky devil. <laughs> We, we've, we've done level one. Level two, I feel, is less impressive because it's a quarry in, in the in the Doctor Who sense with a, a beautiful CGI sky like it's something out of Teletubbies. And Netflix's The Floor is Lava bubbling yes, all over the yes. place. Well, I mean, one thing I actually like about this video game, there's something about there's something satisfying about a quest where you meet people who have failed in said quest along the way. It make it, again, it raises the stakes. It makes it feel like, oh gosh, this person was better than me, but they failed. How am I going to do this? Um, and we find... it's not just because they only have a finite number of actors they can pay, and so they just reuse them. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, who who is floating in the lava? Is it is it Greg, or Ben? Or ben. It is Ben. It's Wait just some by. random friend. Some random friend. I, who I couldn't remember him. I, I I went back and I realised he is earlier on in the movie, but he did not make much of an impact. I'm afraid this actor. No, he I, is not Paul Dano. No, he has the same vibe, but it's not him. <laughs> no, but he, you know, he he read the script and thought, I have a great death scene, so I'm gonna. I'm going to take this role with both hands. And he, he sinks slowly into this uh, red water with boulders floating floating on the surface. Um, but he is holding another the next key. And as Alex stares into the puddle of lava, uh, she sees her mum looking like, like Glinda the Good Witch from uh, Wizard of Oz. Which, uh, again... This is the sort of thing I like in these films. These sort of random. I don't. I don't know quite what they're thinking here, but I'm. I'm here for it. Help me out, guys. 
Are you like? Are you? Are you continue? Are you? Are you just draws dropped because I'm really vibing with this film? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I am as well. But I thought. I mean, at, up until this week, I think I was the world's biggest fan of this film by dint of being the only person who remembered uh-huh. it. Well, I if I was... Oh, there. now you think that Harry is mm. challenging your crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, saying... it wasn't a crown. It was... It's, it's, <laughs> it's a pipe that I put in my eye. Yeah, um, <laughs> a tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if I was a member of the Academy in 1993... And <laughs> yeah, I think... This was I... better than... I'm going to say it right now. Arcade's better than Schindler's List. <sighs> well, I mean, it's in colour. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's... A big plus. Oh I don't know what Spielberg was thinking. Half of it's in German. I don't understand it. <laughs> oh anyway. my god! I I I I want to build a time machine just to send you back to go into the academy. Just kick the doors in and go. Right. I know you're voting, but fucking stop. Mm. I know. Stop writing. I know you're writing down Schindler's List. I'm going to bring you a VHS of a film called Arcade. And you aren't going to believe what you've been missing out on. It's the future. <laughs> and history changes. Like, it ends Liam Neeson's career right there. Mm. I mean, they don't traditionally do direct-to-video movies. Um, and that's, that's you kicking the door in and saying, I've, I've put, I'll put it on a really big TV for you. Mm. That way it's like it's added to cinema release. I mean, you get filmmakers nowadays like Wes Anderson and... Um, gosh, who directed The Lighthouse? Is it... Robert Eggers? Robert Eggers. You get Wes Anderson, Robert Eggers being avant-garde of their square frames. And I'm like, this is called pan and scan. (laughs) And it's a technique which is on the fringes of filmmaking. It's the bleeding edge taking a backhander from Full Moon as I'm I'm saying this. Oh, lovely. Just counting counting the money in the envelope. (laughs) It's perfect. What, a fiver? Yeah, a fiver. I mean, what I do for a fiver, you don't want to know. <laughs> um, I really hope Charles Band gets like a cheque for 30 quid next week that he hasn't got a clue how this has happened. Well, I mean, as I said, I've watched this a few times already and I really do... I want to see the metrics, the... Um, analytics? I want yeah, to see the, the analytics of Arcade this week. Maybe it will greenlight a sequel. You know, just don't know. God, what, what, is, what does a 2020 version of this look like? Well, I mean, it's much, just, yeah, yeah. Much, this time arcades just comes off you with microtransactions. Oh god! Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, much like Charlie Brooker struggles with writing Black Mirror episodes, I think anyone writing an arcade sweet call would struggle right now because of this, this VR and microtransactions. And, and how can you improve on perfection? That's yeah. true. It's, it's a fool's a fool's errand. I mean, the very next scene is. It's just cinema where um, we arrive at like a digital river, river sticks and Seth Green is there and Laurie is there and they do a real uh, brain tickler, which I still don't understand. Isn't it the one from Labyrinth as well? Isn't it it's exactly the vibe, exactly the vibe I was getting. And I'm not even going to bother to describe it now. I'm just going to insert a clip. You may ask one of us a question. One tells the truth, the other lies. Who you ask remains your discretion. But if the answer is wrong, the questioner dies. The city of truth is the place you seek. Either boatman will take you there. But the other city is dark and bleak. 
This is the teller of lies, Domain. Beware. I am the liar. Where shall I take you? I am the truth teller. Where should I take you? What did he do to you? Is that your question? No, wait. No, that's not it. Oh, okay. I want the city of truth. So I want the truth teller. But which one is which? You have no time. What is your question? I'm thinking. You have no time. Okay. What did he say? The riddle involves a paradox. Liar. Did you come from the city on the left or the city on the right? I came from the city on the left. But you always lie. So you didn't come from the city on the left, which means the city on the left is a city of truth. Too late. You're taking me to the city on the left. This, this, this scene gave me vibes of that Jennifer Lopez film, The Cell. Um, yes. Yeah, when yeah, they yeah. go, she goes inside the mind of, um, is it Vincent D'Offro? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I watched a clip of that on YouTube after watching this and, I, and it's like identical. <laughs> the psychotic thing about the film arcade is it feels like it's actually been relatively influential. There's a lot of times you watch it, you get the vibes of the cell and, and you know, numerous other films. Well, um, maybe it's just because it was the first. And just because it was the first at something didn't mean it influenced anything. Perhaps that's where we split the difference. Well, arcade is everywhere, is what it says. So maybe it just sort of dissipated into the virtual ether and just implanted itself in the uh, minds of filmmakers around the world. I mean, I'm assuming that Arcade is, like, taking over the phone lines, because there is that scene when Nick and Alex are trying to call their friends and all the phone lines are engaged. But the, they never make a point of that in the film. They don't say, oh my god, it's taken over the network. It's just loads of home consoles, and it somehow magically is connected, or it magically knows inside people's heads. I mean, again, Arcade is t telling Alex all the time that she is a failure. And I found that quite, um, I mean, to not put a fine point in it, I feel like a failure most of the time. So I can really empathise with Alex. <laughs> um, <laughs> but did you, did you understand this riddle? She, she, there's like one person who's a liar, one person's telling the truth, and then there's a city of, is it truth behind them and a city of lies in another? And I, I tossed a coin. I don't know who. <laughs> I mean, it's 50-50. If there was a time pressure, you just eeny, meeny, miny, mow it. It feels like he got this riddle from like a, a book of like Victorian riddles. Yes. Right? And, it's, and I'm sure the answer's online somewhere. If, if you Google, uh, well, I was going to say, if you Google arcade riddle, question mark, I'm sure it's not going to give you uh, that sequence. But I'm sure if anyone gets it, you please Twitter it. <laughs> It's I've got an infuriatingly vague title, sadly. Um, so I don't know if you get many hits on arcade. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, please do if you've worked out the riddle. It's like that bit in Die Hard with a Vengeance when they've got the the scales and water jugs. It's a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Grasping at straws. Oh, trying wait, to... wait, wait, wait! I just googled it. Yeah. It comes up right. Okay. Oh, wait a Is there an answer right? If you ask the truth guard, the truth guard would tell you 
that the liar guard would point to the door that leads to death. You're, t you're talking about labyrinth, though, not arcade. But isn't that the same? It's the same riddle, isn't it? I honestly can't remember. But it's it's the same one, but in different, slightly different words. I think it's the same is, concept. One always lies. One always tells the truth. But then it adds the element of you can still choose which city to go to. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> All we can say is. Well done, Alex. Yeah, Alex, she's... She you beat us all. She <laughs> seems pretty confident, especially when there's, like, a bewinged, screaming monster flying up behind her. Um, I mean, there's... That, it was this bit that made me think of the show uh, Reboot. Oh, man, yeah. It, loved it, Reboot. I loved Reboot, but the thing... that This is what's nuts, is that was a cheaply made Canadian kids show around the same time that looks so much better. It's, I think that purple it... sky <laughs> is very reminiscent of like the game coming in in reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, they 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 survive because it's set in the game world. If they're trying to say that was photorealistic, I um, <laughs> I'd have a thing to say. <laughs> I mean, this screaming CGI monster I mentioned it did attack Nick um, earlier on in level two, and I I didn't. I didn't know if Nick was dead. I thought Nick had been killed, but he had actually been pulled out of the game in the last minute by uh, Albert. So, again, that was a, a sort of a frisson of stakes, I felt, for a minute. Oh, but here's a question. To get out of the game, you hit the escape button. What's the difference between that and just pulling the mask off? This You're is pulling the... the mask. You just move your head back an inch. Yes, from the... That's, from the pipes. Yeah. Uh, he nearly died. How did he get out of it? He just did this with his head. Whoop. <laughs> oh, foiled again. Oh, bugger. They're always getting away from me with their clever neck movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, it just um, ever so slightly confused me. I mean, if you're talking about The Matrix, another film which was clearly influenced by Arcade, <laughs> um, you definitely get the impression that their mind goes into the game and is trapped. But I, I never got the full sense that they were inserted into the game that they they still felt very much playing outside it apart from when they like disappear into a puff of smoke once they lose <laughs> yes there is that bit wouldn't it be great <laughs> if like in the matrix they just disappeared in a puff of smoke like they're the wicked witch of the west or something it'd make cleaning fun. up afterwards a lot easier <laughs> So there's there's a little bit of this sky cycle chase that I've mentioned and and along the way uh when she when she she crosses the I, I want to call it the sea of despair but that's not its name. Have you got the name of the sea of uh, darkness? The sea of darkness. There's this bit where they she rescues a child from the sea and this is told to us exclusively through like a CGI infographic. And this kid, as we discover, turns out to actually be uh, Arcade. And, you know, you can tell already in my voice, I'm getting a little bit confused. <laughs> because I think she she beats the game. She gains an extra life for saving this kid. And then later on, Arcade, a.k.a. the kid, seems infuriated that she had an extra life. But he, he knows how the game works. I really don't understand... <laughs> Uh, any, did any of you get did this have watertight logic at the end or is it just me she discovers the idea of the free life from Albert when they meet him at the uh, game studio 
But I don't know whether it's... Uh, I mean, Harry, you've seen it more times than me, Dan, <laughs> you too. Um, like, whether by saving the kid, that's what gives her the free life, or you just get it automatically for crossing the Sea of Darkness. Either way, it seems like pretty ropey programming. There's a glitch. There's a loophole that she found. I mean... I don't know about you, but if I saw a, a drowning kid in a CGI Sea of Darkness, I would sort of just row on by, to be honest. I'd be like, I'm not falling for that. <laughs> and then I wouldn't get an extra life, I suppose. And I'd be doomed. The extra life she gets is this sort of weird junction box thing. It's like... It's like cables, plas- isn't it? Is it that? Mm. It's yeah, a plastic okay. ball with like cables all over it and she throws it at arcade and that seems to kill him which there's some um, disdain in your voice creeping in now i thought you loved this now i I can give or take the ending actually (laughs) i can give or take the ending maybe it's just unexpected because she's meant to use the free life on herself but then she decides to throw it at arcade and by giving the baddie an extra life that like it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that's not in the game. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I love like... the fact, yeah, so Arcade is supposed to learn, like it's supposed to be super intelligent and learn every time you play, but it hasn't learned the rules of its own game. Well, maybe he I just... guess no one got this far, so he hasn't had mm. to do this before. It's like, no, wait, what goes on now? It'd be amazing if he, uh, at the end, it's just, he puts on a pair of glasses, going, I'm going to read the manual, shut yeah. up. <laughs> or maybe he, that's the thing, he didn't. He just rushed into the game without reading his own manual. And he kind of regrets that now. But oh, um... I, made a, I made such a fool of myself. Uh, usually <laughs> I just kill him in the tunnel and I, I hadn't expected this. Oh, I'm all of a tizzy. <laughs> well, I think, isn't it famously, uh, Pac-Man didn't have any level beyond something like 99 because no one was expected to get that far. So what happens uh, at 99? I think you just go back to level one. Such is life. <laughs> this gets... It does get a bit confusing because she... Um, I think when she pulls out this junction box thingy she gets zapped she gets zapped into this dream sequence where her mum is alive and as as rory mentioned her mum talks about how great it is being dead and then she lifts a gun to her head and again the budget reveals itself because there is absolutely there's just the gun sound effect isn't there there's no actual flash or any sort of blank involved and Gosh, um, this 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 ending has become quite fuzzy for me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it cuts then to the the daughter looking at it, and then it's just the mother dead again with blood all over the wall, and then she wakes up and just says, "Ah, I'm not dead," or something like that. Um... And then and then she shoots her. Yeah, the mum shoots Alex, and so Alex is dead. Arcade has won. Ha ha ha! Doesn't realise that she has a free life alex gets resurrected and is like guess what asshole you forgot my free life and throws it at arcade and he explodes yeah yeah okay okay maybe the ending <laughs> isn't as good as as the rest of the film but yeah i i put my hands up and i think that the reason why i am a little less with this ending is because it's just frightfully confusing <laughs> it's um but I feel that's just a lot of the way these sort of slasher films end. I mean, the very end scene, the very end scene is just confusing nonsense because the the teenagers, they they all are alive. They all, they all have survived. I don't know how many home versions of Arcade have been given to people. 
but so maybe everyone has just popped into their living rooms all of a sudden and but those which were playing it at home turn up at the arcade all players souls are restored but like laurie who was disappeared when playing the home version she's there oh right yes so it's like okay i guess some of them warped back to the arcade i don't think they gave that very much thought actually and when i meet david s goyer i'll ask him that question it's like <laughs> i'll be i'll travel to the next time they actually do comic-con in san diego and i'll say um there'll be the justice league panel with the D dc extended universe creatives and i'll have the floor <laughs> and i'll say this is the question from mr goyer <laughs> It's a um, shame he's not one of the ones. He's not one of those writers who's particularly engaged on Twitter because I bet, like a bunch of people, you ask them about a movie like Arcade from the dim and distant past, they'd be like, "Oh my god, I will mm. tell you everything." Because I was, I was, I've noticed this because especially with actors as well. I, I was, I won't say I'm, on air. I won't say who, but I, I happen to have lunch with a an actress, and I, and she's got like the best credits you could ever wish. Like, what a career! And I brought up a kids movie sci-fi movie she did in the mid 80s and she was like oh my fucking god no one's mentioned that in years and then she told me <laughs> the best fucking uh... stories about it and i'm sure like i'm sure if, if you ever get a chance david s guy was gonna go i wrote that while i was on meth <laughs> on I a sunday know. night because i needed the money i get or... the impression he believes his own hype though i've i have to admit i can't remember the last time i actually listened to him speak or anything so i don't know um, I know he had was... a terrible. I know he had a terrible time doing Blade Three because um, Wesley Snipes' his head had just expanded so much it had its own center of gravity. Um, but yeah, not I literally. Know. I mean, that would be a problem. Fits it in post. Wesley Snipes' head is too big for the camera. We'll just have to reduce it. <laughs> or, or you go okay to the writer. We're going to need to explain the big head. <laughs> the big I'm going to let you sort that out. Uh, Blade swallowed a bee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it'd just be like the Hobbit, where um, what's his face? Um, who's the elf in that? Forgotten. Legolas. Yeah, but who plays him? Orlando Bloom. Yeah, that's the one. I mean, Orlando Bloom is 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 just slightly slightly rounder in that prequel than he is in the in the Fellowship, isn't he? But we they don't. Don't explicitly say anything about that. Maybe that's just you know, elves get thinner as they get older. Maybe you know what? Everyone has a phase, right? Mm. Maybe he let himself go for it a couple of years. Maybe he was coming out of a bad relationship. You never yeah. know. Sometimes maybe it was winter. You put yeah. on weight in winter. You come for it. There's pies. These things don't have to be over-explained, is what I'm saying. But yeah. I would like an explanation about the ending of Arcade because. Um, they leave the arcade and Alex says, I just thought of something, you guys. If we all came out of the game, what if Arcade did too? Which is it's kind of like Iron Man saying five minutes before the end of a film, hey guys, what if there's a post-credit sequence? It's sort of um it, it sort of preps the audience for something to something twisty to happen at the end. And you know what? This sort of is. So Alex gets dropped off back at home, and as she's walking towards her door, there are whispers in the air, and there's an arcade machine on the steps. She turns round, and it's the kid from the game, Arcade, who says, 
right here, bitch. Yeah. And then he smiles at the camera, and then the camera pulls into like a CGI void again, and then the CGI face of Arcade says, I think he says his catchphrase, which is kiss reality goodbye. And then there's the credits. Someone thought they were getting a sequel. Yeah. Like, it's just that it, it leaves you. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Dan, that it, it, you, you finish this film and you're in this weird mood. And I think that's part of it because it's it's fairly A to B to C. And then this is like, what's what's going on? It just. Oh, no, it's, it's oh not again. <laughs> it's one of those just let's throw in a last minute twist to throw everything out the window and don't really think about it too hard. Yeah. It's we've just ju there yeah. as a little extra thrill scare. We've just given you the best 82 minutes of your <laughs> fucking lives. <laughs> so don't ask any questions. Please leave the VHS place now. Yeah, please be kind, rewind <laughs> and return it to the store. Well, the original CGI version does not have that final bit at the end. The original version just has them leaving the arcade and Albert kind of being like, oh, I don't know, maybe arcade got out and then it's just credits. So just be thankful we got this little tag. What do you think happened to Albert? Because as I said, he's he's kind of positioned as a help, but he seems to be complicit in using a dead child's brain to make a video game. See, clearly what went wrong is that he didn't use 200,000 brain cells. Yes, we need more of the brain. How much brain do we have left over? Oh, that's quite a lot. Let me get the ice cream scoop. <laughs> a bit fell on the floor. Oh, let's, we'll use that. It's still good. Just brush it off. It does feel like you should be like, like slightly walking behind the teenagers as they walk away going, none of you were going to mention the brain thing, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, that could really affect my pension. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't it's... look good on the CV. Maybe at the end he gets the, um, what's it called, phrenology forceps out and he just starts measuring all the kids' heads, being like, hmm, have you been uh, having any brain medicine recently? <laughs> how, did you do, how did you do in the GCSEs? Good? Good, okay. I'll, I'll, bear, I'll bear you in mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, maybe the whole sequel could have been about the fall of whatever that company was called. Because I'm tired of films being called The Rise of This, That and the Other. Half the films which come out have rise in the title, he says, with absolutely no empirical evidence. <laughs> rise of Skywalker, Dark Knight Rises, Yep. Um, uh, high Rise. Rise, um, of, the rise of the Foot Soldier. Yeah. Yep. Rise Wide Shut. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Did we say Rise of the Machines? Is it Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah. I just get bored of Rise. I want Fall. I want Fall. Of the Dark Knight Falls. The Fall of Skywalker. It, it sounds so much more dramatic. There's, the Fall of Skywalker. The, the Descent. The, <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's close uh, enough. It's close Downfall. enough. Downfall. Downfall. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, that's Arcade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a certain uh, enthusiasm has drained from you over the course of this show. Um, I think, I think it's because I, I ran out of whiskey about uh, forty-five minutes in, so it's, it's worn off now. But no, I will, I will put my hand out. This is definitely in the upper tier of films that we have done, and that includes films like Street Fighter and Dead or Alive, and you know, I, I had a good old time. This was an uh, unexpected treat and i thank you for bringing it to our attention 
I was just I was just gonna ask uh, how does it compare to the memories you had like your impressions when you first saw it how does it stack up now I I, I will be honest, I didn't remember the plot really but I remembered the feeling I had from watching it and that and I was not bored and I, basically I had the same experience 27 years later I enjoyed it in spite of itself mm-hmm. mm. I also remember John Delancey being in it a lot more I will say that I thought he was like the main character in it when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, and he's in it like, what, four or five minutes total? He is only really in, is it like really two scenes? But yeah, two scenes, yeah. Crazy. Crikey. What does crazy come from? <laughs> I don't know. Crazy and crikey mixed together? It's the new thing. <laughs> it's the choice of the new generation. It's snakeboarding. It's cool. It's hip. It's arcade. What? Do... It's push pops. <laughs> it's push pops. <laughs> 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 Did That's going to be get push pops banned from their school. No, I, but I can but... already imagine why that might have happened. What, what, I, yeah, I think Pogs licking... got banned. Uh, they got uh, banned from our school because kids were licking them to a point and stabbing each other. Oh god! <laughs> what kind of yeah. school did you go to? Welsh one. I see. Yeah, I think we went to we went to private schools where that sort of thing didn't happen. <laughs> you got told off uh, for making a gun out of sticklebrooks. Yes. I oh made a stickle brick gun and I was told I shouldn't do that because it might become real. Yeah. And you end up pr- joining a gang. <laughs> a stick the stickle brick gang. <laughs> yeah, with popped collars and uh I was shanked by a duplo block. Um yes, tough tough times down at the the school I went to. I was gonna On name the streets the of Wandsworth. Yeah, the streets of Wandsworth. Rory, this is this is completely this is as new to you as it was to me. What is your impressions of arcade? I've been holding my tongue slightly throughout while you've been singing its praises because I did not care for arcade you much in the slightest. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's our mum you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with the film. I. Just didn't Name really. One f- thing that's not right about this film. <laughs> yeah, uh... we dare you. Yeah, <laughs> you can't, can you? Uh... He's, he's, he's struggling. Just so you know, you can't use production design, production quality, direction, writing, or performances. <laughs> Anything else? Or, or, is any good. element that comprises <laughs> cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See? Straw man argument. I didn't like how it made me feel. <laughs> We didn't like that <laughs> that's either, actually, but we, yeah, that, but that, that's, we know that that was their aim to make us feel rubbish. I, I actually, that's really upset me, Rory. I've got this image of you <laughs> in an empty bath, hugging your knees, saying, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to watch this again. Don't make me watch it again. Nah, I, I, it wasn't so bad. No, I, I, there was a lot to take from it. I just really didn't find it very exciting or interesting. And <sighs> I think... I think the strangeness of the tone is something I completely get, and it's something that I agree with. I think this very weird fever dream vibe is totally present. Uh, it's like watching Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, the video Ooh. game years. You know, whether that was intentional or not, it definitely has that element to it very, very strongly throughout. But apart from that, I just found it a bit of a chore. Like the scene where Nick is phoning up every single one of his friends to get a dial tone, and he yeah. is getting increasingly annoyed by the process, but right. so and am now, I. And now try stilts. 
And now Laurie is engaged. Oh, what about Greg? It's engaged. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was pretty going through the phone book. But there's just like lots of parts of the film where I felt like that. And the very kind of, you know, improv teen conversation stuff, it just felt like there was no direction going on in terms of the performances and the way it was all put together. And it was a very ugly movie, as you say. And I get a lot of that gives you that impression and is partially the intention, but it's just not something I really enjoyed sitting through, um, I'm afraid. So I appreciate it and I'm glad to have seen it. And I sort of find it endearing in a way, uh, strangely. I, I've, I, I'm willing it to be better than it is because I understand the restrictions and the limitations that it has. But I sort of feel like it's self-sabotaging. <laughs> Every scene. Oh, well. Do you know what? I agree with everything you said. I, I agree with all of everything you guys have been saying, but it's like everything that is like a plus point for you is in a way a minus point for me. And I think maybe it just changes just like Arcade the Game itself. It adapts to its viewer. And maybe <laughs> if I watch it again, I will learn to appreciate it more. And maybe I'll suddenly find it. it's the best film ever. Unlikely, oh, but, no, you know, no, maybe I'll enjoy it more. Well, maybe Dan appreciates it because he saw it as a child and i appreciated it because i have the mind of a child <laughs> uh, and you uh, a card carrying grown-up because you, you've got your grown-up card haven't you yes you, you've just got a more measured view of it i still think it's one of the more enjoyable films and, and like i said i i've appreciated this discovery i think out of the killer teen slasher video game movies that we've watched i would go for stay alive Nine oh. times out of ten. But there's still a one out of ten chance you'll say arcade, and I'll, I'm going to grab hold of that <laughs> chance and say yes, not a complete washout. Cool. Well, that was arcade. And what we usually do now, we, we say, we give a hint, a sneaky peek of what's coming next. And what, what's the next film we'll be doing on the old podcast? Next time on Games on Film, we're looking at a CG animation adaptation of a very popular RPG series from Japan, but something I don't think either of us have really played to any extent, so we've got no clue what's going on, but we'll give it a go anyway. It is Dragon Quest, your story. You a Dragon Quest fan, Dan? No. All right, well, we won't ask you to be the guest then. <laughs> <laughs> get somebody else <laughs> but no <laughs> um thank you so much for being our guest have you got um anything to plug at all um when, when is this going out i think first of september a little while yet so uh if it's september when you're listening to this by the time you're listening to this i will be uh, deep into writing a sketch show for bbc radio wills which will be on iplayer and all that so you can listen to it not just in wales anywhere and it's called welcome strangers Lovely stuff. Brilliant. I look Welcome to strangers. That. We'll look out for that. And how can people find you on social media and stuff? I, I'm Dan Thomas Comedy on Twitter. And then, um, I mean, I used to, when on podcasts, I used to mention my Instagram, but it's really just pictures of my dinner and my kids now. So I'm not sure that's particularly <laughs> interesting to anyone. Um, but if, if you like uh, the look of risottos that I made, then I think I'm Dan Thomas Comedy on Instagram as well. Wonderful. 
Well, you can find Games on Film Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Games on Film Pod. You can find all episodes of the show on SoundCloud and Spotify and Acast and Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find our website online, as you find all websites, at gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast where you can find links to all episodes and ways you can support the show. I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And the music for this episode and all episodes was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, we're finally we're gonna do our very best to turn off the podcast <laughs> in a moment and hopefully we'll be able to do that. Yes, thank you very much, Dan, for being our lovely guests. Thank and you so much for giving me an excuse to revisit my childhood. I know this is probably the longest conversation about arcade ever, <laughs> including the script meetings. Yes, um, but thank you very much for listening. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Uh, I I've been Dan. And uh, Alan. I've been arcade. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.